see each and every one of you here tonight. I'm so thankful for those who have tuned in to us for our Wednesday night Bible study. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter number 8 is what we're going to be looking at in just a moment. But first of all, I just want to say I'm so very thankful um, that the God I serve, He is faithful. The Bible says that His faithfulness reaches to the heavens. Thank you, Brother Scotty, for that song. That was a blessing to me. I'm thankful tonight that the faithfulness of my Heavenly Father is not based upon my performance. That's not based upon my goodness, but the faithfulness of my Heavenly Father is based upon His person. It's based upon His power and His precious promises that we find in the Word of God. And if God's promised it, then praise God He's going to do it. We found out last Sunday morning that um, that God, it's impossible for Him to lie. So what He says, praise the Lord, He's going to do. He's faithful to do exactly what He has promised in our lives as believers. And man, how powerful that truly is. Thank you for that song tonight. Uh, brother, you do a great job leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. In Romans chapter number 8, I'm so very honored and excited to be able to share with you tonight this portion of Scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. Any time that I'm able to stand before an open Bible and share with you the truth of God's precious Word, that's always a great honor and a great privilege. And there are several reasons for that. But before we get started in Romans chapter number 8, I just want to give you three of them tonight. And all of them start with I. That way you can remember it. First of all, you need to know that God's Word is inspired. How many of you know this evening that all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired Word of Almighty God? I believe that with everything in me. I believe that um, the complete canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired absolute truth of God to us. Now why is that important? Because listen to me folks, God's Word shows us first and foremost who God is. It shows us who He is and then it shows us who we are. And then it shows us what we can be because of the finished work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been studying the Word of God now for about 20 years. And I promise you, I believe more today that God's Word is inspired, that the Bible is God's inspired absolute truth. I believe it now more than ever before. I just keep finding mountains of evidence that backs up the claims that we find in Scripture. So I believe God's Word is inspired by the precious Holy Spirit and then God used His men to write it down so that we might have it in a book. And that book is called the Bible. God's Word is inspired. And because it is inspired, you need to know that it's important for you. And it's important for me. We need to understand that God's Word shows us how life is to be lived. Let me share something with you. You're never going to know how life is to be lived until you know the creator of life. Let me see if I can illustrate that point. In um, October of 1908, the Model T was invented by Ford Motor Company. Henry Ford invented the Model T and that began uh, running in his assembly line in the Ford Motor Company and thousands upon thousands of Model T's were built for people all over the world. Now, let me ask you something. If you wanted to know how the Model T was supposed to operate, what its purpose was, what it should do and what it shouldn't do, how to fix it when it got tore up, if you wanted to know all of that about the Model T, who do you think the best person to talk to would be? 
I'd say it'd be the creator of the Model T. I'd say it'd be Henry Ford himself. That's who you need to speak to if you wanted to know um, how the Model T is supposed to operate. He's the creator of it. Now, folks, if we want to know how life is to be lived, if we want to know what life is supposed to be about here in, in, in this world and also in the world which is to come, then we must know the creator of life. And you're only going to know the creator of life, God himself, by reading his precious word. So it is inspired and it is certainly important for you. God's word not only is inspired and it is important for each and every one of us if we're going to know how life is to be lived, but you also need to know it makes an impact on you. When you take God's word and you begin applying it unto yourself, it impacts you in a positive way godly way. Let me tell you something, husbands. If you're listening to me tonight and you've got a family at home, you need to understand and know if you'll take the Word of God and you'll apply that truth to your life, it's going to make a positive, godly impact upon your marriage. Let me tell you something, fathers. If you'll take God's Word and you'll apply it to your life, it's going to make a positive, uh, godly impact upon your parenting. Let me tell you something, wives. If you'll take God's word and you'll apply it to your life, it's going to make a positive, godly impact in your marriage. You can learn what it means to be a godly wife according to God's precious truth. You can learn what it means to be a godly husband according to God's precious truth. It will truly make a positive, godly impact upon your life if you'll apply it unto yourself. I'm so thankful that you're listening to the Word of God tonight, uh, wherever you are. But I want you to know, God wants more than for you to just listen to what His Word says. You need to start applying what you hear. You need to start acting like God is telling the truth. And I can promise you, if you'll do that, it'll make a positive, godly impact upon you in every sphere of life. I can promise you this, church member, Christian, if you'll take God's word and apply it unto your life, it's going to make a positive, godly impact upon you. And you can start becoming what God has saved you to be. And the same is true for pastors. Amen. I've come to find out as a pastor, if I want to be what God has called me to be, if I want to make a positive, godly impact upon others, I must first allow God's precious truth to make a positive, godly impact upon me. And that can only happen when I apply God's truth by faith to me. So you need to know this evening, any time that I get to stand behind an open Bible and share with you the truth of the Word of God, that's a great honor and a great privilege for God's Word is inspired. God's Word, God's Word is important for me and for you. And God's Word will make an impact upon your life, a positive, godly impact that will change you to be what God wants you to be if you'll apply that truth to your heart and life by faith. And so I'm so thankful each and every time that I get to share with you uh, the truth of God's precious word. But now, having said all of that, I want you to get a hold of what I'm telling you tonight. When you begin studying God's word for yourself, when you begin getting into the word of God and feasting upon the bread of life, let me tell you what you're going to find. There's going to be certain scriptures, certain verses that really become powerful just for you. There's going to be certain chapters in the Word of God that really become powerful for you. Not that all the rest of them aren't powerful. Not that all the rest of them aren't inspired and important. Not, but but these, there's going to be certain ones that's really going to jump off the page at you. 
There's going to be certain books in the Bible as you begin to become a student of the Word of God that's going to make a a, a real impact upon your life. Not that all of the rest of them don't, but they're going to be special to you. And those one of the special chapters for me in my walk with the Lord and this growing process that I'm in is Romans chapter 8. And so tonight, I'm especially excited and honored to be able to share with you Romans chapter number 8. Let me see if I can illustrate what I'm talking to you about just a little bit. I, I want you to understand all of it's good. All of it is inspired by God and is profitable for you. But there's just certain ones that, man, really make a difference in your life. For me, I, I love movies. I'm a movie buff. I enjoy watching movies about as much as anything else. One of the great blessings in this quarantine, time of quarantine that we've had over the last month, and there has been some blessings to it. One of them is that as a husband and a father, I've really got time to spend with my wife and kids like I haven't had in a long time, to be honest with you. And so we spent some time, listen, enjoying family time together, watching movies and different things, and I've really enjoyed that because I am a movie buff. I love series of movies. One of my favorite series is Rocky. Now I know it's hard to say that any series is uh, that any sequel is better than the original, and I get that to a certain degree. But for me, I like all the Rockies. I, I like Rocky One. I like Rocky Two. I like Rocky Three. I like Rocky Four. I like Rocky Five. I like the Creed movies. I like all that. But the one that really sticks out for me and has become very special to me is Rocky IV. I love Rocky IV. Not that I don't like all of them, but I really like Rocky IV. Now, if you don't like Rocky IV, that's uh, un-American for sure, and it's borderline sinful, and you need to get forgiveness for that if you you don't like Rocky. But I love Rocky, and especially Rocky IV. Not that I don't like all of them, but that one is truly special to me. Let me give you another for instance. I like Indiana Jones movies. I love that series. I love Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There's another one called The Last Crusade. And then the last one that came out was The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, all of those movies are good. I love all of those movies. But the one that really sticks out to me is Temple of Doom. I mean, if I see Temple of Doom on, I'm going to stop and watch it. If I see Rocky IV on, I'm going to stop and watch it. Not that all of them ain't good, but man, those two really stick out for me as far as movies go. Well, Romans chapter 8 is really the Rocky Four of the book of Romans for me. And, and, and after we get a hold of this truth tonight, I hope and pray that it will be special. I know it will be for the believer tonight. For those who've trusted in Jesus, it's certainly going to be special for you when we start seeing what God's Word says to us tonight. And I want you to know, God's ready to speak, but you've got to be ready to listen. So listen, tonight, let's, let's dive into God's truth together and see what the Lord has for us. What I want to do, yeah, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 through verse number 17. We're never going to get that far tonight. But man, we need to see all of that in entirety before we go any further. And then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Listen to what Romans 8 verse 1 says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you're at home tonight and you're a child of God, you ought to say amen right there. (laughs) And that's that's powerful, powerful, precious truth that... Uh, makes an impact surely in our lives. Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law 
of sin and death. Take note of the word free there. You're going to see it again. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. You can just keep saying amen. Look at verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Isn't that good? He goes on and says in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and it's peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh. Child of God, do you realize this? The Bible says you are no longer in the flesh. God doesn't see you in the flesh. You're not controlled by the flesh, that old sinful nature. That no longer has any control over your life because now you are in Jesus. Now God the Holy Spirit dwells in us as a believer. And we're going to see what that means in just a minute. But in the Spirit, and so with the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life. Underline that. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, does everybody see that? We are no longer in debt to the flesh, that old sinful nature that we got from Adam. <laughs> now we are no longer in debt to that because we, we don't live after the flesh. For, verse 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you want to know whether or not you're a child of God, are you led by the Spirit of God? Do you know God's done a work in your life that he continually does day by day? Then he says this, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We are no longer in bondage and we are no longer controlled by fear that comes from that bondage to sin. He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, if Romans chapter 8, I believe, is the central chapter of the book of Romans, Romans 8.15 is probably the central verse of Romans chapter 8. Man, you're talking about a power-packed verse. Romans 8.15 is it. We have not received the spirit of bondage, but the spirit of adoption. We are now the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God. We probably won't get there tonight, but we're going to see that the adopted children, as far as this verse is concerned, has the same rights and privileges as the blood kids. And we're going to see how all of that applies to us who've placed our faith in Jesus. It's amazing. Verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of preaching this portion of truth tonight. 
Lord, I cannot do anything effectively without you. Lord, I recognize and I realize I am nothing without you. But I also know because of you, through you, all things are possible. Lord, I know that you can work on me. I know that you have worked in me. And I'm praying tonight that you work through me to accomplish your goodwill and purpose and to bring this truth to the people that are hearing this message. Lord, I cannot impart truth. All I can do is preach truth. So Lord, I'm praying right now, Holy Spirit, that you impart this truth to the hearer so that it might do what it's meant to do. Lord, I'm praying that if there be one here uh, tonight or that's listening to us that is, uh, has never yet been born again, Lord, would you convict that heart and bring them unto yourself? Holy Spirit, do for them what you once done for me. Show them how hopeless and helpless they are without Jesus. Lord, I'm praying where conviction is needed, you bring conviction. I'm praying for those who are children of God and need comfort tonight, that Lord, tonight you would bring comfort to the heart of those who need it. Lord, you know what we need when I don't know what we need. And I know that you are able by your power to do what's necessary in each and every heart and life and so Lord we're praying tonight that you would do that by your power in Jesus name God work on me and work through me start with me tonight and light a fire that cannot be quenched by the power of the enemy and Lord I'm praying that you would do your work that only you can do in Jesus name amen January the 6th of 1941, FDR gave a speech to Congress on the state of the war, World War II then, that was in Europe. And at the end of his speech, he said something that, man, is a very powerful statement that we certainly, in today's time, need to take note of. He gave four principles of freedom that must be true for a free people. Freedoms that are outlined in our Constitution. Now, don't know, you know, must understand something, folks. These freedoms are not given by our Constitution. These freedoms are just recognized by our Constitution. We understand these freedoms are given by God. <laughs> the framers of the Constitution and the writers of the Declaration of Independence said as much. We have some inalienable rights, some rights given by God that, listen, is recognized by this great document, the Constitution of the United States. FDR said that it's freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Wow, I love that. Now, that is certainly true for every American citizen, but tonight, I want to take this a step further and go much deeper into what the Bible is saying here in Romans chapter 8. So, in Romans chapter 8, He's giving us four freedoms that we're going to see throughout this verse that uh, is true for every believer. I've told you since we started in Romans chapter number one that uh, Romans is the constitution of our Christianity. And I still believe that. Well, if Romans, the entire book is the constitution of Christianity, Romans chapter eight is the declaration of independence. It shows us the freedoms we have in Christ because of the person of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the, the uh, architect of the freedoms we have is the Holy Spirit of God that is at work in the believer's life to set us free day by day from what we face. Now, 
These freedoms that are outlined, I'm just going to give you a list of them tonight, and we're going to be talking about them over the next three or four weeks. First of all, he gives us freedom from judgment. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And he tells us that there's no condemnation. We are free from judgment. Can you say amen to that? We're going to see what that means this evening. Then he says in Romans 8, 5 through 17, that we as believers, as Christians, as those who've been blood-bought and born again, we have freedom from defeat. There is no obligation to the flesh. We are no longer debtors to the flesh. So if Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 speaks of no condemnation, and then Romans 8, 5 through 17 speaks of no obligation to the flesh, then Romans 8, 18 through 30 speaks of no frustration. Listen, because we have freedom from discouragement. And there's all kind of things that are trying to discourage us in the world that we live in today. But I want to tell you something. We don't have to be dragged down by that as believers. We can and we should live above that because now we live by a power much greater than ourselves. We live by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And we're going to see how all that works. Then in Romans 8, 31 through 39, we find freedom from fear because, listen, the Bible says there's no separation for the child of God. Once you've known the love of Jesus, you can't be separated from it. So what do we have to fear? We don't have to fear anything this world can come at us with. We don't have to fear anything people can do for us do or do to us. We don't have to fear anything in heaven, anything in the earth, anything below the earth. We don't have to fear principalities and powers because nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. So we find that we have freedom from judgment, freedom from defeat, freedom from discouragement, and freedom from fear. And we see all of that here in Romans chapter number 8. Tonight, we, I want to talk to you about freedom from judgment. For there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to see why that is. Let's look what it says there, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse number 1. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation. If there's one thing I found in studying the Word of God, anytime you see the word, therefore, you better see what it's there for. <laughs> and that's true right here in Romans 8 and 1. He says there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's three points that I want to make tonight very quickly. First of all, I want you to know there is no condemnation for our sin. And when I'm talking about sin, I'm talking about all of it. I'm not talking about just individual sins. I'm talking about our sin problem as a whole. See, all of us have sin symptoms is what I like to call it. Um, let, let me see if I can illustrate that for you. If you go to bed tonight and you wake up in the morning and you've got a, uh, itchy, watery eyes and you've got um, a sore throat and, and, and you've got a sniffle and you're coughing, that probably means you've come down with the common cold. And we know you've got the common cold or some kind of virus simply because you've got the symptoms of that. Now, all of us have the symptoms of sin in our life, but the root cause goes much deeper. Those symptoms come from the disease of the sinful nature that was passed down from Papa Adam. 
That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, in Adam all die. Why? Because death is a product of sin. Get a hold of that before we go any further and we'll see how that works in just a moment. But the Bible says for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for sin. I love that. And you should love that. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, for condemnation for sin means for us a devil's hell. It means for us a life wasted in living upon this earth. I feel sorry for people who don't know Jesus. For people who don't know Jesus don't know what living's all about. I feel sorry for people who don't know the Lord because they have no hope in this life and they have no hope throughout eternity because all sin gets you is death physically and death spiritually and that's what hell is all about. Spiritual death. Separation from God. I want you to know for those who are in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation for sin. Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the Bible gives us a fantastic illustration of why this is true for the believer. We found out that all of those stories in the Old Testament, all of them Bible stories that we've learned since we've been this high, all of them are an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember me telling you Sunday that Jesus is found in every book of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So if you're reading a new, an Old Testament book and you don't find Jesus in it, you need to reread it because you've missed the main character. And if you're reading a New Testament book and you don't find Jesus in there, you need to reread it because you're missing the main character. Jesus is the main character of all scripture. And all of those Bible stories that we find in the Old Testament are types and shadows of the Lord Jesus. Back at Easter time, we found out how Jesus was revealed to us in Exodus 12 by the Passover lamb. He's the true lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. But that's not the only place. It's all over the place, all throughout the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, we find the story of Noah and the ark. Do you remember that? Do you know the Bible says Jesus is, an, or excuse me, the, the, the ark is an example or a type of Jesus? It, sure, it certainly is. Let me tell you what I'm saying by that. If you remember, listen to me now. I want you to get a hold of this. If you remember, the Bible says all of those who Moses, or excuse me, who Noah preached to about the coming flood, if they would get into the ark, they could be saved. That was his message, and he preached it for hundreds of years. And there were only eight souls throughout the whole world that was saved through the flood because only eight trusted in what the message Noah was bringing, the message that came from the Lord, and they got into the ark. Now that ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says right here in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Them which are in Christ. Jesus. Now listen to me. How does the ark work with that? Well, what happened when God um, brought the flood waters upon the earth? Those flood waters was a picture of the judgment of God against sin. 
What did the Bible say about how Noah was to build the ark? If you go back and look, you're going to find that God told Noah to take pitch and to put pitch on the inside of the ark. Now that pitch was that black, tarry, gooey substance that would keep the water out. He said you need to pitch it within and you need to pitch it without. Put all of that tar, that pitch on the inside, put it all over the outside so that that ark is going to be watertight. And then, Noah, what you need to do, you and all who've trusted in the message, you need to get into the ark. Now, why is this so important for us? How does this explain what's happening in Romans 8 and 1? I'll tell you how. The same word that is used for pitch in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word kaphar, K-A-P-H-A-R, you can look it up for yourself, is the same word used for atonement. Same thing. And so what the Bible is saying is that that pitch was keeping the judgment waters out. That atonement was keeping the judgment waters out. Now the Bible teaches that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What do I mean by atonement? What do I mean by something being atoned for? The Bible's, or the, 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 uh, the dictionary says atonement means to make up for uh, some area of deficiency. How many of you know we all had an area of deficiency. All of us were born into sin. We came here sinners by nature and then we sinned in our own willful action, disobeying God and breaking His law. We were deficient. Now the Bible says Jesus came and made up for all of that. How did He do it? He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. We'll see it in just a moment. To do for men in the flesh what men can't do. Jesus came and was born perfect, lived perfect, and then went to a cross and paid the penalty for our sin. He became the atoning sacrifice that reconciled us back to our Heavenly Father. Jesus is a great picture of the ark because now we who are in Christ are free from the judgment of God against sin. Are you seeing this? I love that. And you ought to love it. If you're a believer, and if you're not a believer, don't you want to be? You can miss God's judgment against sin if you get into Christ. He was the atoning sacrifice that saves you from the judgment of God. That's the picture that the Bible paints for us. That's why the Bible says, Romans 8, 1 in the New Testament, that Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for our sin. But now you also need to see, there's no more control of sin in our lives. Have you ever heard somebody say this? I tell you what, boy, the old devil's really been beating up on me this week. Now, you probably heard somebody say that, and I've, I'm going to be honest. Before I was, while I was ignorant of, of a lot of the truth of the Word of God, I said that myself from time to time. Do you know that the enemy, Satan himself, sin has no power over you? Has no control over you? And that's true because of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you are 
in Jesus if you've placed your faith in him. Now you remember what I said to be in Jesus. We've already talked about the picture of the ark. And if you are in Christ, you are made partakers of all Christ is, all Christ has, and all Christ does. You have power over sin, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. See, not only are you in Christ, but the Bible teaches Christ is in you. Let's go on. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. Do you see that? You've been set free, child of God, from the law of sin and death. Now we know there is a law of sin and death. We know sin has authority over us because of the law. Let me, let me make it even more plain to you. We, we've already talked about this in the last chapter, but let's, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sin has authority over us because of God's law, not because the law is unholy or unrighteous or sinful, but because we can't keep the law. Nothing wrong with the law, there's something wrong with us, and because we can't keep the law, then sin has authority over us. And then that sin does something hurtful to each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 50, 56. The sting of death is sin. Watch this now. And the strength of sin is the law. Now why is the strength of sin the law? Because the law shows us how sinful we are. The law shows us the perfect standard. And the law shows us how short we've fallen in doing what God has said. And so there is a law of sin and death. Those who sin will ultimately die. We'll die physically, and it's because of our sin that we die spiritually, each and every one of us. We were born spiritually dead because we were born into the sin of Adam. Flip back in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Look down in verse number 22. Watch this, verse, excuse me, verse number 21. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. What's he mean? Everybody who was born of the seed of Adam was born spiritually dead and will ultimately die physically. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't that amazing? So what's he telling us? There is a law of sin and death that all of us were under pre-Jesus. I was under it. If you're a believer tonight, you were under it. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and been put in Christ, you are still under it. I got good news for you. You can trust in Jesus and come out from under this law of sin and death tonight if you'll only trust in Him. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ. But now listen. There's another law that now gives us power over sin. And the Bible mentions it right here in the second verse. Look what it says, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me see if I can illustrate this point. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? Now we know 
outside of that airplane, there is a law that has control over us, that has authority over us. It's called the law of gravity. We know that what comes up must go down. We know gravity has uh, authority over everything planted on the ground. Just like it had authority over that book. Has authority over us. But now listen, when I step on an airplane, get a hold of this. The law of aerodynamics overcomes the law of gravity. But let's just say I'm on an airplane from here to New York City and I'm flying along and I decide I want to go out and get some fresh air. I decide I'm going to step out and take a break from flying for a minute. What's going to happen? Then the law of gravity is going to take over because I've got outside of the airplane. Now what does that mean for the child of God? What does that mean for me and you? In Jesus, listen to me, we have, are set free from the law of sin and death because we have another law, the spirit of life that's in Christ that takes over the law of sin and death. We don't have to live in sin. We don't have to be controlled by sin. We don't have to do what we used to do because now in Jesus, we have the person of the Holy Spirit working in us, working on us, and working through us to accomplish His good will and purpose. But when we as believers choose not to abide in Christ, it's just like like stepping out of that airplane and then that other law takes over. And we certainly begin to seek. When we choose not to daily relinquish our will to His will, when we choose daily not to abide in Him, rest in Him, trust in Him, when we choose daily not to be filled by Him, then we are making ourselves susceptible to that other law. Is this making sense to you? I listened to something this morning by Dr. Johnny Mays talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Man, it went right along with what we're talking about tonight. Bless my soul. And I, I love how he put it. He said the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing. It's, and it's not. It's something that continually happens throughout our lives as we relinquish our will to God's will, as we receive from the Lord what He has for us daily. That's why the Bible continually tells us in the New Testament to be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. Why does it say that? Because we need that refilling daily so that we might be able to overcome the law of sin and death. The law of that old nature. We need that new nature. We need that person, that spirit man, that the person of the Holy Spirit that now dwells in us to rise up and take control in our lives so that we might be what God wants us to be. And boy, that's when the Christian life gets fun. When you know God's working on you, when you know God's speaking to you, when you know God's living through you, when you know God's loving through you, when you know God's doing a work that only He can do, that's when preaching gets fun, I'll tell you that. That's when witnessing gets fun. That's when praising gets fun, when we know God the Holy Spirit's doing it. I'm not concerned about what I can do. 
I'm not interested in what I can do. I'm going to tell you something else. The only thing that really interests me at Mount Zion Baptist Church is not what we can do in the power of the flesh, but what God can only do in His power and presence. That's when I get excited. That's what really makes a difference. And because we are believers, we now have this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ that causes us not to be controlled by sin anymore. There's no condemnation for sin. There's no control of sin in our life. Let me tell you something else. There shouldn't be a continuance of sin if you're a believer. Watch what the Bible says. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law, now look at that, he says the righteousness of the law, watch this, might be fulfilled in us. How is that going to be made possible? How is that going to happen? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I've told you before, I'll tell you again. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus. Faith plus nothing saves you. I'm telling you. You are justified by faith or you're not justified. It's not of works. You can't boast in it. Our salvation is made perfect not, listen to me now, not because of what we've done, because we certainly ain't perfect. Our salvation is made perfect because it's based upon the finished work of Jesus. So salvation is by faith in Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've truly been saved, it's going to make a difference in your life. And now by the power and person of the Holy Spirit, the good deeds of the law will be fulfilled in you. What am I trying to say? What I, what I keep telling you in the book of Romans. Works are not the reason for salvation, but the result of salvation. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. Works don't save us so we can't boast, but then we become the workmanship of God in Christ. According to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So the Bible says, because we are in Jesus, we have freedom from judgment. We're no longer condemned by sin. We're no longer controlled by sin. And we certainly shouldn't continue in sin if we claim the name of Jesus. Now I'm not saying, listen, believe me, I know None of us are perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're never going to find it. If you do find it, you better not go because you'll just mess it up. And I'm not going to go because I'll just mess it up. Truth is, the church is full of sinners saved by grace. There are no perfect pastors. I'm certainly not one. There are no perfect people on the pew. None of us are perfect. 
But as believers, we should perfectly purpose every day to serve the Lord. That should be our desire. That should be our goal. And by the power, person, and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish that and the, and the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us. Sin no longer has any power in our lives. The only power it has, the only power the enemy has, is what we give him. Amen. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. I want to pray for you. We'll be dismissed. Next week we'll come back and look at Romans 8, 5 through 17. God's word is so good. God's word is truly important if you're going to get life. I'm talking about life in this world and eternal life in heaven. Eternal life is abundant life. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. A lot of people think the only reason that you get saved is so you can go to heaven. Folks, listen to me. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. But I'm glad I'm saved so I can go to the grocery store tomorrow. I'm glad I'm saved so I can be a father that God's pleased with and my kids need. I'm glad I'm saved so I can be a husband that's pleasing unto the Lord and a blessing to my wife. See, until a man or woman or boy or girl knows the creator of life, they're never going to know how life is to be lived. So whether or not there is a heaven or is a hell, and there is, I'm still trusting Jesus because I get to experience his life daily, that abundant life that comes in him. That makes all the difference now and throughout eternity. If you've never trusted in him, I can't think of a better time than tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that by your atoning sacrifice, Lord Jesus, you caused us to be made free from the law of sin and death. I'm thankful tonight that you are able to work on us, work in us, and work through us to accomplish your good will and purpose. I'm so thankful that by your power, you can use us if we'll relinquish our will to yours. Lord, help me to do that each and every day. Lord, my church needs it. My wife needs it. My kids need it. Lord, I need it so that you might have your way and will in my life. Forgive me, Lord, where I failed you. And I pray right now, if there be anybody listening to this message who needs to trust in you, may today be the day. Holy Spirit, bring them to the place where they have no peace until they look to you and be saved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.